Every organization has talented leaders who could make a meaningful difference, if only they could get heard. Welcome to Words and Power, the weekly podcast that provides the tips, strategies, and inspiration to win support for your ideas, all while remaining completely yourself, just more at ease and effective. And now, here's our host, C-Suite Leadership Coach, Kathy Dockery. Well, hello, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about one of the big elephants in the room of our work world. There's a couple of those, something big and important, and yet everyone seems unconscious that it exists. In fact, they often argue that not only isn't it there, it shouldn't be there. The problem with unseen elephants, however, is that they still have an impact on everything around them, no matter how much people insist they aren't there. If you run into an unexpected nasty surprise in the work world, chances are that you've run into an invisible elephant. On the other hand, if you put on your glasses and realize there's an elephant there when no one else can see it, you have an unexpected advantage over everyone else. You can avoid the pitfalls of running head-on into the elephant, and you might even get that elephant to work for you. We can all use a secret advantage now and then. I'll start with the story of someone who had the experience of running into an unseen elephant. A few years ago, I was working with a talented leader. Let's call him Tom. Tom was running the division of a well-known company and was just kicking it. Tens of millions in revenue, year-on-year growth, in a strategically important sector, a motivated and devoted team, just someone with a natural flair for leadership in the business world. Tom and I had been working together for about six months to get him ready for a likely big promotion in the near future. And at this particular meeting, we were looking at what we had achieved to date and deciding whether we needed to target any additional goals going forward. After we had been talking a while, Tom said, Kathy, I know I get good feedback on my communication style. People are always complimenting me on how direct and clear I am. But I'm feeling that I'm still not as good as I'd like to be. Maybe I could be even simpler or more clear in my communication. Somehow, others don't always seem to get what I'm saying. Well, I was surprised and a little puzzled, in fact. The feedback seemed pretty accurate. Tom did have a very clear and direct communication style. So why was he feeling that others didn't always get what he was saying? I asked him to walk me through a few real-life examples to see if I could spot what might be going on. And once he did, I could see a pattern that might explain Tom's perception. I noticed when he was presenting or pitching an idea to someone, he always was very logical and data-driven. He never once mentioned his own feelings, whether good or bad, and he never acknowledged or referred to his listeners' feelings. 
So why was this important? Well, Tom, with his excellent leadership instincts, was sensing one of the blind spots that most of us have in our work life. We're often told that the path to greater and greater clarity is through facts and logic. I've never been in a workplace that didn't have that belief, that clarity in decision-making comes solely from a foundation of facts, data, and logic. But here's the problem. It just isn't true. In fact, it's never been true. Sure, facts, data, and logic play an important role in good decision-making. But emotions, our feelings, are also an important and even necessary part of decision-making. In fact, there's strong neurological evidence that human beings are incapable, incapable of making decisions without having emotions to guide us. We've known this since the 19th century when a railroad construction foreman named Phineas Gage had an iron rod driven through his head in an explosion gone wrong. Miraculously, Phineas not only survived this accident, but he went back to work four months later with little apparent injury other than the loss of an eye. But it soon became apparent that the brain injury had changed him in some very curious ways. The accident had damaged the section of Phineas's frontal lobe responsible for emotions. And because he no longer had his emotions to guide him, Phineas could not make decisions. He could look at the facts, and he could reason his way through various options. His ability to analyze remained unimpaired. But he was missing a crucial and necessary ability, the ability to actually make a choice and own it. Instead, Phineas would dither back and forth among his options and never actually choose. Since then, multiple neurological studies have confirmed the truth of what was first learned from the Phineas Gage case. As human beings, we cannot make decisions without having emotional input. So let's get back to the workplace, which somehow hasn't yet caught up to science and where people still believe that emotions and feelings have no place. If you accept what you're being told and you're trying to convince others using solely data, facts, and logic, you are making presentations or pitches with one hand tied behind your back. That's what Tom was experiencing, the client I told you about earlier. He was speaking clearly, factually, and logically to his team and to his peers. And yet somehow they didn't always get him or end up on the same page. That's because he was ignoring the emotional subtext, their feelings, his own feelings, instead of addressing the emotions in a way that would ensure complete alignment. So you might be saying at this point, okay, Kathy... I get it. But who has the time to be constantly paying attention to the emotional subtext? 
My job is complicated enough as it is. And I get that. The point of this episode is not to insist that you develop the skills of a therapist on top of the job you already do. Instead, I want to give you a few quick and easy tips on how to address emotions when you're making a pitch or presentation. That way, you won't be in the position that Tom was, making presentations with one hand tied behind your back. So, tip number one, ask people how they're feeling in advance of a presentation. The process of simply asking a colleague how he or she feels about something is just so simple, but it's also powerful. Once you know their feelings, you can address and resolve those in your presentation. If they say they're nervous about a particular risk, then you can talk in your presentation about the precautions that you're taking and the feeling of security those precautions will give them. If they're enthusiastic about a new strategy, you can point out in your presentation how the idea that you're pitching will increase the odds that the new strategy will be successful. Now, at this point, you might be saying, well, of course, I always check in with colleagues before making an important presentation to them. To which I say, yeah, but are you really? Because there's a great likelihood that when you check in with them, you're probably asking them something like, hey, Mary, what do you think? think of this. Notice that you use the word think. That's not a question that often leads to emotions and feelings getting discussed. Instead, a better question is, hey, Mary, what do you feel about this? Asking how someone feels about an idea can give you all sorts of info about their emotional state. And you can use that info to better connect with them later when you're making your pitch or your presentation. Okay, tip number two, don't just reassure people of the positive, quantifiable benefits of an idea. Reassure them of the positive emotional benefits as well. We're pretty accustomed to pointing out the logical and quantifiable benefits of the idea we're pitching. For example, the cost savings, or the creation of more value for the customer, or a more productive workplace, etc., etc. What we're less accustomed to doing is pointing out the positive feelings that will result from our idea. For example, less worry about unexpected compliance issues or more enthusiasm about a challenging project. But it's pretty easy to simply include those emotional benefits in the list of all the other quantifiable benefits that will result if your proposal is adopted. Simply think about how an affected group will be feeling, perhaps employees, or peers, or customers, or shareholders, or perhaps even the board. Better yet, think about how an important decision maker will be feeling. Will he be less stressed? Will he have a greater sense of ease, for example? 
and then be sure to mention that as a benefit in your presentation. If a decision maker knows that he or she will end up feeling good as a result of supporting your idea, they again will be more likely to give you that support. And finally, tip number three, say and embody the emotion that you want decision makers to be feeling when you make a presentation. One of the interesting things about emotions is that they're often contagious. If a coworker is consistently cheerful around you, it's likely to make you feel more cheerful when you see him. If a peer is consistently impatient with you, it can make you feel impatient as well. So being emotionally infectious when you make a presentation is likely to make decision makers feel a little bit about that too. So how do you do that? If you want decision makers to feel relaxed and confident about your idea, show up in a way that conveys relaxed confidence. And somewhere towards the beginning of your presentation, you can say, I'm feeling pretty confident about this idea because dot, dot, dot. If you want them to feel curious and exploratory, show up in a way that conveys curiosity and say in your presentation, I got curious about this situation, so I decided to explore it, and this is what I found. Shaping the emotional climate in the room in this way means that many of your listeners will be on the same page emotionally with you. That means you've already done half the work to win them over. Now all you have to do is make the logical business case for your idea in order to win their full support. So there you go. Three quick and easy ways to weave feelings and emotion into your presentation or pitch to increase your persuasiveness. If you start using these tips consistently, presentations and pitches will not only start to feel easier for you, you'll also see your win rate increase. All right, my friends, this is Kathy Dockery, and I'll see you here next week. What more could you accomplish if you were 10%, 20%, even 50% more connected and influential in your organization? To make that possibility a reality for yourself, you can subscribe to Words and Power Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Do you have a particular question on influence, persuasion, and presence that you'd like to see addressed on future episodes? If so, just go to our website, www.wordsandpower.com. Fill out the inquiry form you see there and stay tuned for a later episode on the topic of your choice. You'll also see information on our site about leadership coaching, online courses, and free resources that we offer. That's www.wordsandpower.com. Until next time, my friends, here's to a week ahead filled with good work, with good colleagues, and a few good wins. <laughs>